The truth is writing is a discipline. As long as you see it as a discipline and give yourself a set amount of time, a certain amount of time, say per week, you will get a book done if you can stick with it. So as an example, I committed to writing 500 words three times a week. I woke up just one hour earlier than everybody else. And the, the goal was I'm not gonna leave this chair till I get 500 words. And so every week I was writing 1500 words and I was just trying to stay committed to that. 1500 words a week is 6,000 words a month. After four months, you've got 24,000 words. You're almost got a book. Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. Hey, welcome to episode 15 of the Preaching Donkey podcast. My name's Lane. It's awesome to be hanging out with you today. We've got a great episode for you. I've got my good friend Phil Ayers on the show today. He's the author of Flannel Graph Jesus. He's also a lead pastor at a church. But we're going to talk today about turning your sermon series into books. So this is a little bit of a different type of episode. If you have ever wanted to write a book, and particularly if you've wanted to take the sermon content that you've preached and turn that into a book that can help people beyond your church and leave a legacy of authorship to your children and to future generations, then this episode is for you. Phil is going to share his experience start to finish with writing this book, and he's also got two other books in the works. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Thanks so much for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pandora or iHeartRadio or wherever you listen, awesome. Great to have you tuning in. If you're enjoying this podcast, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We only have like one <laughs> review at this point. And uh, there are some like ratings. People have rated it, but actually leaving like written reviews, um, it's just not happening. And I'd love to hear the feedback, especially if you're enjoying it. It really helps. It kind of signals to Apple Podcasts that people are getting value out of the show. So if this is one of your regular things and this show shows up on your phone every Thursday and you get value out of it and you enjoy that, please do me that, that favor. I would super much appreciate it. Super much. And if you're watching on YouTube, Thanks so much for being here. It's awesome to have you. Be sure to hit subscribe and give this video a like if you're enjoying it. So we're going to get to the interview, but I want to offer something to you that is going to be a, a great compliment to this. If you have ever wanted to write a book, we're going to talk about all kinds of things related to writing a book, but I have a guide for you that is specifically designed to help you write your first book. It's called the five-step guide to writing a number one best-selling book. You may not know this, I don't talk about it much on this channel, but Preaching Killer Sermons was a number one bestseller in its category on Amazon, and that was exciting. In fact, I took some screenshots <laughs> because I didn't want this moment to ever die. I didn't want it to ever leave my consciousness or the consciousness of the world. And that was a day when my book, Preaching Killer Sermons, was number one, Tim Keller's book, Preaching, was number two, and Andy Stanley's book, Communicating for a Change, was number three. 
that was an amazing day. Now, it, it only lasted about a week, but it, it happened, and I couldn't believe it. So I made the five-step guide to really kind of put on paper exactly the steps that I took, what you need to do, how to write a book, how to determine an outline for your book, the process of writing, your first draft, your second draft, the editing process, all of that. You can get that at lanesebring.com slash five steps. There will be a link to that in the show notes if you're listening. There's a link in the description below if you're here on YouTube. So definitely go check that out. That'll be a nice help. And with no further delay, because today's episode is going to be fun and it's going to be awesome for you to listen to, let's go to the interview with Phil Ayers. Well, Phil Ayers, it's so awesome to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I've talked a little bit about you and given a little bit of history, but can you just kind of, for those listening who may not know you or much about you, can you kind of talk about your journey of meeting Jesus and then uh, deciding to go into full-time ministry? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I was raised by my mom. She was a missionary in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, so I was, I kind of started out like in the church from the get-go um, my mom married my dad when I was seven. We stayed very involved in the church. I was there, of course, like, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the whole deal. And um, I always felt like a, a very strong call to Jesus. I got saved and baptized when I was 12. And, um, you know, I was involved in youth group. I loved that aspect of life, the, the friendships that I developed and the accountability and Christian friends. I decided to go to Christian college to be a minister. I think I received that call when I was about 17. I went to what is now known as Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, but um, I finished there with my degree in ministry. I actually spent quite a bit of time though in the business world, which is an interesting story we probably don't have time for. But what it taught me was a lot of things that I feel like Bible college didn't teach me. And so I learned a bunch and I ended up, uh, you know, taking a, a worship leading job in Tampa, Florida. I did that for a while and then I moved over to Orlando and um, I've been here ever since. I actually was a worship leader, you know, most of that time. And then I transitioned to being a lead pastor about 13 years ago here at the church uh, where I'm at. So that's just sort of the, the 30,000 foot view, as you'd say. That's awesome. Well, cool. Uh, you know, one of the things that you've done that a lot of pastors aspire to do is you've written a book and we're going to talk about it, but we're not just going to talk about the book itself. We're going to talk about your process and what you yeah. suggest pastors do. But before we do, this book is called Flannel Graph Jesus, More Than a One-Dimensional Savior. And this is a book that you wrote based off of a sermon series, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Um, I've read a little bit of it. It's really good. I definitely recommend it to any anybody listening. One of the things I like about it is um, the, the formatting. You've got really good formatting. There's really cool yeah. artwork in here and there's like attention to detail. But more than that, the, the, the substance of the book that we had this picture of Jesus growing up, what we were right. taught Jesus was like, that he was this stoic, always serious, always right. kind of, you know, and Jesus is actually more than that, right? He's yeah. funny. He's tough. He's a rebel. He's all these different right. things that we find in the Gospels. Right. So great read. So, um, and I, you know, definitely there will be a link in the in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, there's a link down below to, to check that book out. Um, but I want to hear about the process that you went through when you decided, yeah. okay, I did this sermon series. 
did, did the idea for the book come first and then the sermon series or did you do the sermon series and then say, I want to make a book out of this? Yeah, well, uh, let me, I'll start back a little while because I think a lot of pastors probably feel or felt the same way I did, which was, I wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. Um, and I didn't even know where to start. I had an idea and, I, and self-confidence. Um, funny story is like when I was in college, I remember being in a writing class and thinking I was a good writer and, uh, and handing in an assignment. And then the professor says, oh, we're going to take a look at some assignments today as, as examples of what not to do. And I actually put my assignment up on the overhead projector without my name, of course. And I was just like, oh, shame. And I thought, oh, I'm not a good writer. And, um, and then for the next, whatever, 20 years, I thought, I'm, I'm not a good writer. I could never write a book. But I want to tell everybody that's, that's watching, you can definitely write a book. If I can write a book, you can write a book. And I've kind of figured out that, okay, there's a couple of secrets and there's some things along the way that are important. But I promise you, every single person who's a pastor can definitely write a book. For me, it started finally when I kind of decided to get out of my own way. I was preaching through the book of Galatians and I started writing like a commentary, almost like an everyman's commentary on Galatians. And I got about halfway through that and I, did, I made a critical mistake and I would suggest that anybody that's trying to be a writer, don't make the same mistake. Do not give it to people who you know to look over and read. Because either one, they're, they're not going to tell you the truth, all right? They'll tell you it's good no matter whether it's good or not. Or number two, they'll fail to read it. And then you'll feel this sort of sense of rejection that I felt was like, oh, it's so bad. They're not even willing to tell me it's bad. But the truth is people are probably busy and they're not going to read it. So there are groups of people who you want to read your material and groups of people that you don't. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the sort of my process. So finally, what I did is I joined a group called the Tribe Writers, which is basically uh, a cohort of people who are like-minded, they're writers. In that group, I found so much encouragement. And that's kind of what got me over the edge to sort of say, okay, I'm going to write. Now, the next thing was that I realized that um, I had like tons of content already because I'd been preaching by that point for 10 years. So I had lots of sermons, lots of sermon series. And I got frustrated because, you know, I would work like most pastors, you know, maybe 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, if, if I was lucky, on a sermon. I would preach that sermon that I'd worked so hard on and prayed over to, at my church, it was a group of about 200 people. And then that was it. <laughs> like it forever. You know, like I thought, man, it worked really hard on this. I thought, well, there's got to be some way to, to create something that lasts longer. And then I realized, well, I think most of these pastors out there, like, um, um, you know, Andy Stanley and those guys, I think they're just taking some of the material from their sermons and putting them to books. And I started looking back through sermons, and I realized I had a sermon series that was actually called Don't Know Much About Jesus. And it was a five-week series, and it was sort of like, okay, didn't know Jesus was funny didn't know Jesus was tough, didn't know Jesus, stuff like that. And I realized, oh, you know what? Each of these sermons would make a great chapter in a book. And so I expanded that series out. I taught three, I think, or four more lessons in it so I could have more topics. And each of those sermons formed the perfect outline for a book. I almost, I just, I looked at my sermon notes and I just sort of wrote from the notes. And, uh, you know, because I usually start out with an illustration. I think most pastors do. That's a perfect way to start a chapter. There's usually points in a sermon. Well, those are usually subheadings in a chapter, right? 
And then there's a conclusion or an application or a call to action. And usually that's what's at the end of a chapter. And so I put that together and that's, you know, kind of what got me through the book. It's 25,000 words. It's, you know, not a, not a long read. You can read it in a couple of hours, but um, you know, from start to finish, well, I should say not from start to finish. There's a bunch of other things in there before it got to the printing stage, but that's how I came up with the manuscript. Yeah. And I, I, I love, I love that for so many reasons. Cause I think a lot of pastors are in that uh, place where the thought of just losing all the material. And like in your case, where you've yeah. been somewhere as the lead pastor, you said for 13 years, right? It's not like you're bouncing around every two years where you can just recycle, no. you know, the same 150 sermons. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to come up with something new or people are going to get yes. sick of it. Yes, it is true. I, I, I envy those guys though. Sometimes yeah. I think of what that might be like, but no, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. And so, 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 okay. So a sermon, a single sermon can basically turn into a chapter. Yes. Um, so let me ask you this because, you know, I've written a couple of books, but they were not on sermon material. Right. I tried to write a book on, on sermon material. And here's what happened to me. I, I had a sermon transcribed from rev.com. I don't know if you've ever heard right. of rev. Yes. Yes. But I, I sent them like five sermons had them, you know, transcribe it and uh, got all that material. And then I sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to organize this into a book. And it was a maddening process. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> and, and you're shaking, you're, you're nodding your head. I mean, you, yes. so like, what are your, like, how did, did you, do you manuscript your sermons prior to yeah. preaching them? So let me tell you this, I'm shaking, I'm, I'm nodding because I tried that too. Okay. And I found that that was, it was actually harder to try to rearrange words than it was to write them. And and that's why, and this is something that's really important. Like this is the secret sauce. I've said this to other people. The secret sauce of writing a book is the editor. So when you do that, you're becoming an editor and you're not an editor. You're a writer. Okay. And there's a different thing there. In terms of the way I do my sermons, I use what's called a mind map. So it's not manuscripted out at all. It's, it's kind of like a heavy duty outline. And maybe I can send you, um, I'll send you a, a link to an image of, of how I do it. So it's on one single page. And it sort of goes around uh, clockwise. So it was sort of the introduction, first point, second point, third point, conclusion kind of a thing. And I write enough on my outline just to talk about things. So I don't read it off the, off the manuscript or off of the outline. I just know, oh, this is my next idea. This is my next point. But basically, it's an outline. I would say you start with an outline. But I wouldn't necessarily turn a manuscript into a written chapter because you definitely talk differently than you write. Yes. And that was the issue. Yeah, yeah. Because see, the thing about it is when, you know, uh, and I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before, but, you know, preaching is a bit of a, I don't want to use the word performance, but there's so much that goes into it. There's body language, there's hand, you know, hand gestures and, and um, tone of your words and the speed of your voice and all kinds of things. But none of that exists in writing. So in writing, you have to use a different muscle, so to speak, in order to get those points across. And so I found out that, you know, in order to, to get a point across in writing, I had to spend a few more sentences with it or another paragraph with it to get through what I was also getting through with all of those, you know, other um, uh, things that go along with speaking. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I would say most pastors, do you think they start off with an outline of some kind? That's probably the best place to work for writing a chapter, I would think. 
Yeah. And, you know, the people who, who subscribe to Preaching Donkey are all over the place. Some of them are uh, mm. full manuscript word for word. Others are bullet. Others are try to go as noteless as they can. And some yeah. people are doing a lectionary. It's all over the place. Uh, so let me ask you this. So you got your outline. Yeah. And do you uh, listen to, you know, that particular sermon before you start writing the chapter? Do you listen to a section and then write a little bit? H how do you go about that? Yeah. So, well, a couple of things that I found in the process. So for me, I'm writing the book much like later after the sermon series was given. So for example, I think I preached the don't know much about Jesus series in 2015. I didn't start writing it till 2017. Um, I'm working on uh, the, right now. My editor has a book that's called weird, wild and true. The stories you didn't know were in your Bible. And um, that was a series that I preached, I think, in 2018, maybe, uh, called um, Believe It or Not. And, um, and, and then now I'm writing a book called Stuff Christians Should Know. And that was a sermon series I did in 2019. Anyway, my point is, there's usually a little bit of time. And I kind of find that helpful, at least to me. Now, I suppose you could do a sermon and then sit down and write that chapter you know, the very week or something. I don't know that I have time to do it that way. And plus book writing isn't really that way. You don't really sit down and write a whole chapter, you know, yeah. a chapter might be five to 8,000 words. And really in terms of what's realistic for people who have full-time jobs or pastors, you know, writing a thousand words a week or maybe 2000 words a week is probably more realistic. So it's going to take you some time to get through it. So for me, there's a little bit of space, but that's positive because it allows me to have a little bit of a fresh take on the material, a little bit of a fresh sort of um, uh, a spin on it. And I think that's helpful because I, again, I don't want to transfer exactly what I said. I want to transfer the concepts, but I want to write about them instead of speaking about them. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think you, you brought up a lot of good things because you know, sometimes a little bit of space can really develop content. This is one of the yeah. things that stinks about week after week after week uh, preaching because you don't have time to let something really marinate because you yeah. got to get on to the next thing. So sure. the book is so much more rich because you've had a couple of years, you're a different person. You had different yeah. experiences. You kind of sit with that material yeah. in a different way. Did you experience that? Oh, for sure. And plus, I mean, you've preached the whole sermon series. And so now, you know, it would be difficult. I suppose you could deal with this in the editing process, but you know, the series you know, you look at, like, I look at a book as a whole, right, as a whole thing, not just a, a bunch of series of chapters. And the sermon is, this, the sermon series is the same way. You look at the whole series. So, you know, if I was going to preach chapter one and write about it, I might be tripping over something that I'm going to say in chapter three or chapter four. So it gives you a chance to develop the book. Um, so make sure that there's consistency within the book and there's no sort of like, um, copying something from one chapter. Oh, we already said this or didn't say that. It's, I think it's, that's what that space does. So I, I think that works, but again, I suppose it could be different for other people, um, yeah. but that's the way it was working for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Writing is, is very much like, you know, preaching. Everybody's going to take a, a slightly different approach to get yeah. there. A couple of things you brought up that I want to ask about. One is you mentioned time, right? So yeah. I want to know where you get your time uh, to, yeah. to write. Cause you've got this book and then two in process, which by the way, I love your titles. They're really cool. Oh. <laughs> uh, you said wild, weird, and true. Yeah, I think, well, again, I'll say that's a working title. 
I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, the first book, Flannel Graph Jesus, I actually think that's not a really great title for a book. And a couple of people who are more, who have written a lot more books than I have, have kind of suggested that. And I agree with them. Um, I thought it was a cool title, but as it turns out, most people don't know what a flannel graph is. I don't know. Do you know what a, did you grow up in church with, you had a flannel graph? Yeah, but that's because I was in super old school churches when I was a See, kid. <laughs> well, as I turned out, like, I think I did a, I did a survey after the book was written and I think only like 15% knew in, what in the world that was. So right away you look at this book and you're like, I don't even know what it's about, which is the worst thing you can do with your title. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I went off on the tangent. Well, I, I had asked about time. Like, I want to know oh, how, how do you get time to write? Yeah, okay. I'll tell you what. This is another secret. And let me say this as encouragement to everybody that's listening and dreaming about writing a book. So I had a misunderstanding about how you write. Yeah, I thought that, you know, like Stephen King and all these other, you know, Tom Clancy, these prolific writers, they must lock themselves in the room all week, you know, write half of a book or whatever. And almost no writers do that. The truth is writing is a discipline. And, and it, as long as you see it as a discipline and give yourself a set amount of time, a certain amount of time, say per week, you will get a book done if you can stick with it. So as an example, I committed to writing 500 words three times a week. And I picked Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday to do that. Those were the times I had. I woke up just one hour earlier than everybody else. And the, the goal was I'm not going to leave this chair till I get 500 words. All right. Now, 500 words is actually not that much. It's about two pages. And so um, I would sit down. I asked my family, you know, give me that space. If you wake up, you know, don't ask me to you know, feed the dog or you know, make coffee or whatever. I've got to get these 500 words done. They were happy to do that. And so every week I was writing 1,500 words, and I was just trying to stay committed to that. And I fi you find out, well, 1,500 words a week is 6,000 words a month. Um, you know, after four months, you've got 24,000 words. You've almost got a book. So if you just stick to that consistency, and the other thing is that I learned is you don't wait for inspiration to strike. Because if you do that, you'll almost never write a book. You just make a schedule. Now, for some people, they may, may not have a lot of time at all. And you say, okay, I'm just going to write 100 words every day. Or I'm going to write, you know, uh, 500 words sometime during the week. Whatever the schedule is, you know, that's what's really important. And then you just give yourself enough time and, you know, you'll have a book before you know it. For some people, maybe a half a year. For, some, for others, maybe a year. But uh, I found that this kind of, that kind of works. It's more of a tortoise in the hare kind of a thing. You just sort of de dedicate yourself to doing it and eventually it happens. And one other thing is, and I learned this is so important. You don't edit while you're writing. Yeah. You just write. The 500 words don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be grammatically correct. They don't even have to be spelled correctly. You just need 500 words. And I know it's like, yeah, but what if they're not good words? No problem. You'll get to that. That's a different phase. The 500 word phase or, you know, whatever you dedicate yourself, that's about getting content onto the piece of paper. You'll come back to it again and fix it it up. Don't get involved in that part while you're writing. Writing is just about writing. As a matter of fact, I was encouraged never to even space while I was writing those 500 words. Always go forward. You can always fix mistakes later. So, yeah, and that that's uh, Stephen King's book on writing. He talks about yes, I your, love that book. Yeah, he's yes. at your you got your editing brain and you got your writing yes. brain, and you do not want to 
mix those two. And, and that's, yeah, I, I can attest to that. I did the same approach with, with my first book and my second book, woke up early. And what I found is that if I had my writing brain kind of fully engaged, I could right. crank out 2000 words in an hour and a half in the morning. Mm -hmm. may not be amazing. I may end up only using 600 of those 2000 right. words, but I could get that done and then, and then feel like, okay, I've done something. Um, one thing for me that was helpful is I don't, do you use Scrivener? What, what software are you? Okay. I so, did use Scrivener. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I use it as well. And sometimes what I would do is I would, I would look at the word count, um, in different chapters that I had at different, cause sometimes I'd be writing a chapter, get bored with it, lose, lose my passion yeah. for it, go yeah. to another one, you know? Yes. And I would kind of go back and go, okay, I want to get this chapter to 2,500 words today. And it's right. at like 1,800. And that would be my goal. So sometimes I would take a dynamic approach, but I, I agree with you. It's like running a marathon. You don't just yeah. walk out your door and run 26 miles. Yes. You, you got you to gotta show up every day or, or three times a week, like, like what you said. I love what you said. Like, I mean, that's, the, that's an important part. I don't think a lot of people, well, see, I didn't understand it. I would be writing, you know, my first couple of tries and I'd be like, oh, this is no good. Nobody's going to, oh, I, this doesn't even make any sense or whatever. And that all may be true. Like you said, you might write 2,400 words and only use 600, but there's a different phase and, and a different person. And I think finding the right editor is crucial. And um, I just kind of started working with an editor. We really hit it off. She understood my voice. She understood what I was going after. She helped me with all that stuff. She would say, oh, well, you know what? I like this little piece here, but we're going to move it to the end of the chapter. I think this would be better here. Or, you know, I don't quite understand what you're going at. Let's fill this out or cut this back and see, cause it's hard to be objective about your own writing. Yeah. You know, I think that's a challenge. So, you know, the writer writes and the editor edits. Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. This is one of the things I, I, I tell pastors when, well, when, when anybody asks me about writing a book, the very first thing I say is if you're going to spend money anywhere, spend money on an editor because yes. you yes. cannot edit your own work. It's just impossible. Yes. It's the best money. It's the best money you'll spend. It's about five cents a word, I think, right now out there, sort of the going rate. So now if, you know, I did Kickstarter for my first book. It worked great. I would say any pastor out there, if you're worried about the cost of publishing a book, well, number one, it's not expensive, you know, relatively speaking, not like it used to be. But, um, you know, if you are in a church, maybe you might be able to get support from your congregation. Right now, I've worked a, a deal out with my church where they're helping me publish a book, and we're doing that together as part of like a, a ministry. But, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be cost prohibitive anyway, especially since now you don't even really have to print your book. You can do print on demand, and so many other options are available. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings up, an, so there, there's so many things, so many paths we can go down, but you brought up yeah. something that I think a lot of pastors might be interested to kind of know how this works. So are, when, you, when you earn royalties off of this book, are they yours? Are they uh -huh. the church's? Okay, so they're yours. Great question. So um, when I first started writing, I posed this question to the elders at our church, you know, and because and, we had never figured this out. I said, okay, well, who really owns this material? And we went back and forth on it. And um, what we did is we came up with an agreement and we actually put it in writing. And the agreement says this, and I would say to any pastor that's watching, you should do something like this with your church. You've got to get this figured out. 
but the content, no matter where it was produced, whether it was produced on the campus of the church or produced in my home or whatever, that content always belongs to me. However, while I'm employed at the church, the church is able to use it, meaning it can be posted on websites, it download for sermons, all that kind of stuff. If I'm ever to go anywhere, that content still belongs to me. I take it with me. The royalties from the book all belong to me because it's my content. Now, the thing about it is, is if we're going to be honest, there really isn't a lot of royalties involved. I haven't made any money on my book, really. I mean, not when you offset the cost of it. And that's probably one of the challenging things. Like, I'm not going to tell people that they'll never make money out of, uh, off of a book because you never know. But realistically, self-publishing isn't a making money. Self-publishing is about a few other things. I think it's about developing a, a legacy for your teaching so that it, you know, it, it has some lasting value. I think it's um, about creating a bigger spiritual fingerprint. Like if you think about it, you know, if you're preaching to 200 people every week, that's great. Those people need to hear the gospel. But imagine if you could take a book now and make, you know, another 200 people could hear it or, or another 2,000 people. Or if it stays on sale for years and years and years, who knows how many people. But I don't know if the reason to write a book for a pastor is a monetary game. Like, I think it's difficult. Like, publishing a book is easy. Selling the book, I think, is more challenging. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it takes an audience outside of your church, unless you have a massive church and you buy yeah. 20,000 copies and everybody yeah, I mean, gets if one. You're, yeah, if you're at a, I'm assuming, I guess, that most people are at small churches. I don't know why I'm assuming that. But yeah, if you yeah. have a big church, then you'll probably... My church was so supportive. I mean, they, we, we did a book signing party. Everybody came out. Yeah. Um, you know, almost everybody bought a copy of my book, which I think, I, you know, maybe I sold a couple hundred copies right away. Um, uh, but, but then, you know, it's on Amazon. And I, maybe I've sold 500 copies. Yeah. It was funny because I was just doing my taxes. And so Amazon sends you a royalty check and uh or, or like a statement and audible does too and um i think i made like 32 dollars this last year from the book but again you know it's really not about the monetary gain i'll tell you some positives is there's probably been at least two churches that have contacted me and said hey we want to use your book for a small group you know like a church-wide small group study and so you know i sold them maybe 30 40 copies at a discounted rate because in the back of my book there's a little um small group study question thing to me, that's far more gratifying than, sure. yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's expectations, but I think people should at least have that expectation up front. You don't necessarily write a book because you're going to make a million dollars. If that happens, I wish you the best. But I think for most people, you know, it's about, um, it's about making a bigger impact, you know, in your smaller community. Yeah. And it's, it, there's so many reasons uh, to write a book that go beyond money. Like, like yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned a few, I think one of them is authority establishing, you know, if, sure. if you write a book on a topic, um, even if the book doesn't sell far and wide, make a gazillion, it's still impressive that you took the time to sit down and organize your thoughts into something that people can consume. Um, For sure. that, that's still something that people go, Oh, wow. Not everybody does that. That's right. That's pretty cool. I kind of consider it's like, it's like having a business card on steroids. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like when you say, Oh, here, have a copy of my book. Um, it does give you a little bit of that. And now people might be thinking like, well, I don't, I'm not trying to get popular. I mean, it's not a selfish thing. I think it gives you more opportunities to do ministry because, you know, since I wrote a book, I've been asked to speak a few different places. 
know there's some a little bit of um, you know monetary opportunities there too, but I do think exactly what you're saying is right. It's like, oh, this person has enough um, credibility to actually put things into a book format, go through the process. Obviously, there's a bunch of steps there. There's some financial investment, and it kind of says, oh yeah, he must know something or she must know something about this topic. Yeah, just it's kind of a it's kind of like having a degree from an elite school. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. they they went there, they got through. That's right. got to say something, right? Um, yeah, the you reason always why, have it behind you on your shelf too. I don't know if you noticed that. I have yeah. my that you have yours too. <laughs> yeah, I've got my books right here. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The reason why I asked about the royalties and and my my book is 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 different. My books are different because yeah. Christian living, I think, is a different animal to try to sell. Like if you wrote a book, yes. if you wrote a book like a, a B2B type book, like to other pastors where you were teaching them a skill and then you had a, like, like what I do with Preaching Donkey, it's actually pretty easy to sell. Yeah. I'm surprised by how well the book sells, but that's just because of how large the audience is. Yeah. I was, I was applying to a job, this was years ago, it's probably, gosh, seven, eight years ago. Less than that. How, however long, it was a while ago. I was applying to a job, a lead pastor job um, in Arizona. And I was reading through the bylaws. And one of the things there was, it was like the pastor, it was a bunch of shall. The pastor shall this, the pastor shall wow. that. And it was like the pastor shall, uh, the pastor's salary shall be reduced by the amount of royalties earned if, you know, if he, you know, writes a book or, so any speaking you do, any book writing. So, hmm. I, and I, I talked to the, the, the elders about that. And I said, you know, I got to be honest with you. Um, you know, you're, you're why, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and it wasn't like to your point, it wasn't like I was making a million bucks, but I was like, right. you know, I kind of want to keep the, the fruit of my labor here right. and not, you're kind of disincentivizing, um, me expanding my ministry and my reach. I don't know. Right. And, and yeah, yeah. I ended up not, well, I, I ended up dropping out of that. I would say like to me, I remember talking through this and I think one of the elders was kind of against the idea. He felt like, look, if the sermons are preached here, you're doing that on company time, why should you make more money? Um, and I think another person said, I mean, don't we want a pastor who's willing to take ideas that God has laid on his heart and make them available to the world? Like, why wouldn't we want to celebrate that? And why wouldn't we want to bless him for that, for that work? I know there's a bunch of pastors and, you know, I'm not going to say their names, but I'm sure you, you know, I'm thinking about large pastors who they don't even get, draw a salary from their church. They, they make all their money through books. And it, to me, it seems like a blessing. So any church, you know, that's, they should, pastors should have conversation. I mean, I think most small churches don't have the document like you're talking about. Most small churches never thought of it, but I actually have like a legal contract that just basically says, who owns the material? Who owns it if I leave? Who owns the royalties from it? And by the way, I just so people, you know, the first thing I did was I donated 50 copies of the book to the church to give out, you know, so it was sort of like, we're not trying to, it's really not about making money. This was just right. about celebrating something we did as a church, but something to think about you for sure. You're right. So this is, this is totally like kind of a, an aside, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning just because I, I know that we, pastors listening and I know yeah. most people will be able to relate. One of the things that most people don't know about that pastors go through is what you just described where you're at this church, 
you're working hard <laughs> and some elder is going, well, why should he benefit in any way? <laughs> and you just want right. to be like, do you realize what I go through every day? Yes. Do you understand the stress that I'm under? Would you please right. just let me have this? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking, so, so this is a good point. So our associate pastor wrote a book as well. He wrote a book after me, kind of saw that I did it and I kind of talked him through the process. And it was interesting because I was like wanting to celebrate this to the congregation. I'm like, hey, can you guys believe our associate pastor wrote this book? Let's celebrate him. Hey, grab a copy of his book, right? Like it felt okay for me to celebrate that for him. Sure. But it didn't feel okay for me to celebrate that for me. Like, hey, can you believe that I wrote a book? Let's everybody. And so it's kind of weird. Like when you're the lead pastor, I think, you know, either people are watching or expecting something different, or maybe you're not supposed to have the kind of success or you're not supposed to, you know, um, reap any financial rewards. And then of course, you know, if I was to look at it, I mean, I've not made, if I've made any money, it's a, a few hundred dollars, maybe at the most, certainly not more than that. So it's almost like a moot point when you're talking about it. I think most pastors, the book serves a different purpose than, than just money. But of course, who knows? I mean, I think that guy that wrote the shack, it was the same deal, wasn't he? Like a pastor and it kind of blew up or something? I don't know. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it can, it can happen and it's good to have a plan in place. Yeah, you gotta so have a plan. if somebody's listening and they're like, okay, you sold me, I wanna write a book, not gonna make a ton of money, don't care, I wanna make an impact, but I don't know how to get started. What would be like step one, step two, step three mm. for that person? Okay, so step one is you, you need to make sure that you have... Um, that you need to make sure that you, well, let me just put it this way. Start calling yourself a writer. All right. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't say I'm not a writer. Don't say I'm not a good writer. Don't say, I don't think I can do this. You need to start saying that you're a writer. Like you need to have that self-confidence because it's simple. What does a writer do? A writer writes. So if you sit down and write 100 words, the first 100 words of your book, you're a writer right now. That was an important switch for me because I think there's a lot of self-defeating thought that people have, especially when it comes to writing a book. Like, I don't know what that is. Maybe they, people were shamed in college or middle school or, you know, like, but that's the first thing. And then I, I think the second thing, you know, is to develop that writing muscle and to pick a time, set it aside, set a target. Don't worry if that doesn't sound super artistic, but then start going for it. So it might be in the morning. I think morning is best for most people because your brain's actually fresher and sharper and you know right. you can avoid distraction. But some people, I know a person who wrote their whole book, right? During the time they were using the restroom at work. So it, it took them two years, but every time they went in the restroom on their phone, they would try to get about, you know, 200 words, right? I know that sounds crazy, but you make a decision. It could be at night, could be during your lunch break, whatever. And, and you go, you go to it. And then step three, I think, is that crucial factor of finding a good editor and finding someone that you can work with who understands what you're trying you know, to get through. And that will get you to finished manuscript. And then from finished manuscript, there's, I don't know, there's five, at least five more steps to go as far as layout, cover design, printing, and then marketing, which is a you know, beast. And I still haven't figured that out yet. But I think those are the first things you got to do. That's good. That's good. Um, how, real quick, before we wrap this up, and this has been really good. How did you find your editor? What was that process like? Well, I, I was mentioned, I mentioned before I, I 
joined a group called the Tribe Writers, which is a cohort of writers. Um, this is a group that's all over the world. Um, and there's a Facebook group that I was a part of. It was a really important part for me because you could share your work in that group with safety. Like there was rules about like, um, you know, not uh, putting people down and giving them good feedback and stuff like that. It's a very safe place for someone who's a new writer. But in that group, there are a lot of people who are editors. And um, I basically went, you know, I, I went into that group and I said, I, I need an editor. I sent a, a sample copy of my first chapter to about three editors. And most editors will do this. They'll take a sample copy of your chapter, whatever, maybe a few pages. They'll give you some suggestions. And then from those suggestions, you can usually kind of see like, oh, I like, I like this point here. I like what you're doing. And then from there, I, I move forward. Now, I would say, and I could put a link if you want, but I've worked with my editor now. It's going to be a, uh, three books coming up. And uh, I think she's the best. And I'm sure there are plenty of other editors. But she's a, she's a Christian woman. She spent years in ministry. And I think she has a, a good feel for the tone of, of at least my writing. Um, and she's great. But there's, you know, obviously, there's a bunch of, of good editors. I think you've just got to go interview some and maybe ask other writers, ask other pastors who've written books who they're using. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't have, I wasn't a part of Tribe Writers or anything like that. I just Googled Christian, yeah. uh, Christian editor and I found a guy and he did both of my books yeah. and, and yeah. I had a great experience and very similar to what you're describing. He did, yeah. he did a, a, a sample like four pages and, yep. and I was like, hey, this is great. He's making me sound better than I am. That's you know? the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to find out, you know, like even some of the most, um, most notable authors, I mean, they turn in their manuscripts like kind of in shambles sometimes. And the editor really has a, a, the job of getting it all sort of put together. And that sounds kind of like a luxury, but I, I think, you know, that's what a lot of people are doing. Like that editor is sort of like, I guess, the equivalent of a, of a film or something. You know, they have a script, but they're the ones that kind of help form it together so it makes sense to the audience. Yeah, a, a lot of what my editor did was shave off my uh, wordiness. You mm -hmm. know, he just kept cutting and cutting. We yes. don't need this. You don't need this phrase. You yeah. don't need this clause. And it really got my writing down to the essence of what yes. really needed to be there. And I really see that in, in your book. I mean, I was telling you uh, before, the, before we hopped on, you know, the book is so, there, there's so many lines in it that just, um, just really hit home. Like in, in the introduction, you're talking about Jesus and you say, it was as if my understanding of him stayed locked in a safe, in, locked safely in a church storybook. Jesus remained calm. He stayed nice. He was tame and very serious too. Mm -hmm. um, after all, he saved us from our sins and there's nothing funny about that. Right. Uh, I love that. I, I think it just, it gets right Thanks. to the point. Um, at, at one point you said, uh, to answer the question, it's possible Yes, it's possible, even probable. After we spend time combing through the many gospel narratives telling us about what Jesus did and said, I think you'll find him irresistible. Just that line, I think you'll find him irresistible, is so, it just draws you in. You could have gone, you could have uh, got, gotten a lot more wordy, you could have said a whole yes. lot more, but you just said that, I'm confident by the time you finish the book, you'll not only have a savior, you will have a good friend too. That's I, awesome. I'll tell you what, probably the first draft that was a lot wordier. There's no question about that. And I'm sure, you know, because what happens is 
at least the editing process for me, like my editor will go through it first and she'll make a bunch of suggestions, tighten this, tighten that up. And then it comes back to you and you decide, okay, well, do I like what she said here? Okay. She's right here. I'm going to take this out. And then, then it goes back to them again and they'll look at it again. And what happens is you're almost uh, crafting almost every paragraph individually and looking for sentences that really land. You know, and I think, again, that's the difference between talking and writing. Like talking, you know, you can explain things and you can use, and matter of fact, in preaching, it's effective to sort of repeat things in different ways. Right. But in writing, I don't think that's the case. In writing, you're looking for words that um, it's almost, it's almost like creating a recipe with food or something. There's very specific words that together will really sort of hit the imagination of the reader. And you don't come up with those the first time through, you, you know, it's, 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 that's why the editing process is, I mean, I don't really enjoy the editing process. That's the least fun part. Yeah. Um, it's but, a chore. Uh, it does uh, seem like a chore. And like you pointed out, or Stephen King pointed out in his book, it's a different part of your brain. You know, it's, it's a sit down, get comfortable, you know, with a pencil kind of, kind of a deal where writing is much more of a sort of an active uh, kind of a thing, but I really appreciate the, the good feedback on the book. That means a lot to me. Yeah, man. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny uh, when, and this, this makes so much sense now that you kind of explained this, that you, you, you speak so much differently, differently than you write. So you can't just take a sermon transcript and piece it together because then you're just editing. And in some ways there's a, there's a really prominent preacher who I, who I really like uh, very much enjoys preaching, always have. But he, uh, he started writing books a few years ago, and he has another guy that kind of organizes his sermons and puts them into the books. And I, I tried reading it, and I, I couldn't. It was very difficult because I could, I, I, listening to it, it would make perfect sense if he was speaking it. But right. It, you know, and it was almost just, right. just brought straight over to a book. Right. Yes. And I won't mention his name, but it, it rhymes with Chap Mandler. Um, but, and I love him. He's a great preacher, but the writing just at least a few books that I first got my hands on, I was like, okay, somebody didn't do the math here because this is right. not translating into a book. Right. So I think that's some of the best advice for those listening is start with just the outline and yeah. a fresh piece of paper and let it flow. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a spiritual component in this that obviously, you know, we haven't talked about it, but, but obviously it's there. I mean, Think about this, when you are prepping a sermon, you know, hopefully you start with prayer, you're listening for the guidance of the Holy Spirit on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. And I think the Spirit is putting those things together because you're trying to illustrate important truths from the Bible and, um, you know, direct people, direct their focus to God. Well, the same is true of writing. I mean, just because we're saying that, okay, you should sit down at a certain time and have a target for words, that doesn't really make it any less spiritual. I think the same thing is true. Like I would sit down and get myself prepared. And I had this little thing that I would do. I have a candle on my writing desk and I light that candle. And while that candle is lit, I'm supposed to be writing. I'm not supposed to be checking my email. I don't pop onto Facebook to see if somebody responded to my post. You know what I mean? I, I stay, that candle means I'm writing. And there's almost a spiritual quality to that. Like I almost felt like while I'm writing, I have the Holy Spirit right here trying to guide me. And I believe that's, you know, we have to look at it like that. These are, the, these are the truths of the Bible, the deep spiritual truths of the Bible in book form. 
And I hope and I believe that the Holy Spirit is with that individual who's reading it too. So there's a, a spiritual side of this too that is, you know, really important and, and definitely needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I think we can end there because that's really, that really wraps everything uh, together. I, also with the candle writing, I, I picture like Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> like the candle and the feather pen, but but, uh, Let me tell you yeah. something. Nothing felt as good as hitting 500 words and blowing out that candle so I could, you know, start getting ready for the day or do whatever. It was just a little thing. So now, now I do it. I do it all the time. But hey, rituals. Habits, yeah. Rituals are so, they're so important. I mean, it's yeah, huge absolutely. because it's like your brain associates. I read a book called Atomic Habits, and he talked about yes. how important those associations are. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. Well, so for those who want to uh, reach out to you, uh, read your books, you know, see you on social, all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? How can I point them in your direction? So I have a uh, website that um, is not as current as it should be, but it's philayers.me. That's P-H-I-L-A-Y-R-E-S dot M-E. Of course, you can find me on uh, Facebook. I'm at Rev Phil Ayers there on Facebook. And... Um, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I've, I've, I'm off of Twitter for good, but um, you can find me there. Uh, and then, of course, my church is LifePoint Christian Church, which is in Longwood, Florida. If you Google any of that stuff, you should find me, I think. Great. Cool. And like I said, I'll link to the book. And Thank you. Yeah. And uh, this has been awesome. I, I hope for I those listening or, or watching here on YouTube that this has been as, as fun to listen to as it was to be a part of because I think there's a lot of great information. And for the right person who's like, I want to write a book, yeah. I really think this would have been super encouraging. So thanks for coming on. I'm glad to do it. And I hope that somebody out there is like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I wish you the best with that. Awesome. So much in there, so much inspiration, the motivation behind writing a book, the legacy that you can leave, and I love the practicality of his approach. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I want to write a book, definitely check out the five-step guide over at lanesebring.com slash five steps and definitely hit up Phil Ayers and check him out on social and check out his website for more about what he's doing. He's got a lot of cool books coming that will be a really good example. One of the things I love to do when I'm looking at writing a book is go check out another self-published author, get their book and see kind of what it looks like, what it feels like, get a feel for what's out there. So he's a great resource for that. Got a great show for you coming up next week. Cannot wait to release the interview that I'm doing there. It's, it's going to be different than most of what I do here on this show, but I think it's going to be really powerful. It's a needed discussion to have, and I think it's going to be really, really great. Got a, I got a guest on that I'm very pumped about. So that's coming out next Thursday. Until then, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you, and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here on the Preaching Donkey Podcast. <laughs>